On the third Thursday of every month, pastors and church leaders from near and far gather together for a time of friendship, gospel encouragement, and ministry insights in the warehouse at the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. The following audio is from one such third Thursday gathering. Um, I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and we have Jason Rumbo, which is like Rambo with some pirate rum. Um, and... Uh, Excited for him to be able to uh, lead us in this time. Glad y'all are here. Uh, there's uh, restrooms are out this door and that way down the hallway. Uh, coffee, water, more food. Get up and help yourself through this time. Um, I want to pray for us and really thank y'all for for being here, prioritizing this time. Uh, it's always a joy, a lot of fun uh, to be with y'all each month. And following our time, we'll end right at 12:30. Um, after this, if you need a place to to study um, or do some sermon prep or uh, whatever it is that you want to want to do, feel free to to hang out here, hang out on the deck. Uh, we'll we'll put you in a place where you can strategize, dream, sleep, whatever you want to do. Um, I'm gonna pray for us and uh, hand it over to Jason. Uh, really glad you're here. All right, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for my friends here in this room. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, ministers and lay leaders can have friends that go to other churches and serve in other churches in our city. Thank you for the camaraderie, the chemistry, the brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, Lord, the family dynamic that, that has truly evolved um, over these last 12, 13 years of, of hanging out each month. Um, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness and goodness in that, in our stories. Lord, I pray for the churches and the, uh, the ministers uh, that are represented here, the families, the children, the little kids of these daddies and mommies here. Um, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would continue to remain faithful and, uh, and pull us closer to you today, um, this weekend, and that you would uh, inspire Jason, um, Lord, that you would give him clarity of thought, um, Lord, that you would give him peace of mind, uh, Lord, that he would <clears throat> truly believe that he's fully accepted and approved through your finished work, and he's got nothing to earn or prove uh, through his time with us this morning, that he can just relax and just uh, be him and point us, uh, point us to you. Um, so be with my friend. Pray, Lord, that we'll all be encouraged. Uh, bless him and his faithfulness. Thank you for yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Uh, did, I un did I not unmute it? Am I good? Okay. Sorry. No, you now. I'm good. Okay. You know, I sometimes can be technolo technologically challenged, so I appreciate it. Um, good afternoon. Actually, it's still morning, so good morning. For the next 18 minutes, and then we'll uh, something afternoon. Um, I know a few of you, uh, but not all of you. My name is Jason Rumbo. Um, I've been in the Nashville area for uh, about five years. Um, a little bit about me. Well, first off, let me just say this. Like, I've got four kids, so I'm used to people getting up when in the middle of me talking, right, and walking out. So my, my feelings will not be hurt. Feel free to do whatever you need to do, bathroom, as Pastor Jeremy said, and um, you know, whatever, whatever you guys need. Um, so I am 43 years old, and I, gosh, I've been in ministry before I was born. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, and uh, so, so grew up. We were the kind of family that if they were washing the windows, like we were at church, right? Like that's what we did. And so uh, my dad was a church planter. He's now a director of missions in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm from the Carolinas uh, all together. And um, we moved to Nashville about five years ago after having been on staff at very large churches and very small churches. We were 
missionaries uh, overseas for about five years where high attendance Sunday was, you know, how many people can you fit on your couch? You know what I'm saying? Um, and we, again, moved here to help a tiny little church in East Nashville, about 10 minutes up the road on Gallatin, called Eastland Baptist Church. They were running about 20, 25 people. The average age was 72. And uh, we were asked to come in and help this little church just kind of see what the next thing was. Um, when we got here, uh, the building was about 100 years old, and we, were, we knew we were, like, in for it. And that was in 2018. In 10 months, um, we changed the name, changed the bylaws, changed the leadership structure, changed the budgeting structure. And all my friends in the ministry were like, you're nuts. Like, you absolutely have lost your mind. Um, we, we got unanimous approval on everything from start through the transition. And then um, after about 12 months of, of being here and doing that, they were all like, hey, you did what we asked you to do, and now we're leaving. And we're like, fantastic. That's great. What do we do? You know, the finances, we had based it on this budget of people who we thought were going to keep being there. Um, we got this 100-year-old building, and then this little thing in 2020 called the, the COVID. I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing. It's like kind of wild. It, it hit us, right? It hit all of us. And we went into COVID with about 13 people. And like many of you, I was preaching to a little camera. Sometimes it was my phone. Sometimes, you know, we had decided to upgrade and get a GoPro, you know, and uh, just preaching this little thing and thinking, who in the world cares? You know, like nobody, nobody's watching this except for my family because I make them, you know, like just kind of trying to figure out how do we, how do we navigate this? Um, after a while, we came out of COVID. We reopened our doors kind of expecting the worst. And um, what God did was what we weren't expecting. Um, we, through COVID, found that there were a group of people in the East Nashville area who had been watching and who were like, hey, you know, we, we'd like to engage in what you guys are doing in the city. We're very heavily involved in the homeless ministry as well as in the recovery um, ministry or recovery community here in, in the city. And a lot of those people came out. And so we were seeing some amazing things happen. Up until about, uh, about a year ago now, where uh, we just began praying. We're like, Lord, you know, we, we moved here expecting you to move. And you've been moving, you know, we were running um, about 200 on a Sunday, and we're like, like, what, what are you, what are you doing? You know, like, what, what, what's the next thing? Like, how do we keep this thing going? How do we keep it growing? And, and I, I've, as clearly as I'm talking to you, I heard the Lord say to me, "Well, Jason, do you, do you want to see the, the city reached?" And I was like, "100 percent." Do you want to see the church grow? 100 percent. Okay, what if I choose to reach the city and grow the church through somebody that's not you? And I was like, can we talk about that? <laughs> I was I, like, what do, you, what do you mean? And it was just silent. So we just began praying, like, what, what does that even mean? At the time, um, I'd been able to hire a guy who quickly became one of my best friends. And he, not knowing that I had been having this argument with God, said to me, hey, man, I don't, know, I don't know if this means anything to you. I have no idea what to expect or what to think, but, and I'm certainly not trying to presume anything, but I really feel like God's calling me to be a lead pastor, but he's also not calling me to leave Hope Church. Like, what do I do with that? And I was like, I don't know, man. You better pray about that. <laughs> and what God began to show us on that journey was that God had brought us here to start something. 
In 20 years in ministry, man, like I've done everything there is to do. I was telling some friends here a minute ago. I've done everything there is to do in the church outside of be the pastor of women's ministry. And then I led worship for several women's events, so I count that, right? And God says, it's not your church. It's mine. And if you're truly on board with it being my church, then I'm going to take you through a different season, a different path, and we're going to let this guy lead this charge. So in October of this past year, I stepped out of that role. And it was one of the most terrifying, grieving things I've ever done. We still go to the church. I'm still an elder there. They, I'm like a, a pastor emeritus, which I thought was only for guys over 70. But apparently that's like my role now, right? But I, I'm there, and, and I'm, I'm serving as like a mentor to the, to the guy there as an elder and, and doing some other things there. But I'll be honest with you. Many Sundays I walk out of church, and I'm just like in tears, not because of the Spirit moving, but because I'm like, God, what am I doing? Like, how, how am I supposed to navigate this? On top of that, in the midst of 2020, and I've shared this with Pastor Jeremy, I had something called a spontaneous, randomized, catatonic event. And that, for me, was life-changing. And let me just kind of explain what that means. I was sitting at my kitchen table. I've got four kids. My youngest at the time was in uh, pre-K. And they decided to send a computer home with him so he could sit in front of a computer and do lessons. And I'm like, he's five. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So I'm sitting here trying to help him tune in or, or dial in or log in or whatever on this computer. And I don't know how to get the information. I don't know where the information is. My wife had been handling that. So I said, hey, babe, we're sitting at the kitchen table. Can you, like, get me the information I need to log into the computer? She's like, yeah, it's on my phone. Her phone is about from me to this table right here. And I was like, well, can you get it for me? I don't know where. She's like, it's just on my phone. Get up my phone, and it's there. And all of a sudden, I could not remember how to stand. I was paralyzed. I, I couldn't move. And, and I was like, I, I can't. She's like, what do you mean you can't? I was like, I can't stand up. I could barely talk. I was just frozen. And she's like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. She's like, do we need to call the ambulance? I was like, I don't know. For about 15 minutes, I just sat there, unable to move. And in that moment, I felt absolute darkness. I was terrified. I was stressed out. I was freaking out, trying to hold it together because I'm right next to my five-year-old at the time going, like, what do I do? I can't move. After about 15 minutes, it went away. I was like, well, that was weird. My wife said, you should probably talk to somebody about this. So I called up a buddy of mine who knew a therapist, a, a Christian counselor, and, and Christian counselor said, why, why are we here? And I said, hey, this thing happened, I know, but it was just never happened before. I'm sure I'm fine. He said, if we don't begin meeting and if you don't get help in six months, you're going to be thinking, if not already, committing suicide. And that terrified me. So we began doing these exercises, began getting help. And what I came to realize was that the stress that I'd been under, that all of us had been under in the midst of COVID, the stress of God leading us through a journey of just absolute stripping everything away had gotten to me. I began to crumble. 
again, as we went through COVID, began to see health come back, as we kind of got some tools in the tool belt, as they say in the industry, and, and as we began to kind of have conversations and have relationships and be honest about my struggle. And so going into this season where God's like, hey, by the way, I know you had this thing a couple of years ago, but now we're going to take this from you, I began to ask the question, who the heck am I? What do I do? If I don't have a church to pastor, what am I doing? I, I've got my undergrad, my, my master's degree, working on my PhD, like all in really like, what do I do with this? It feels like a waste. God, I don't think you know how this works. What am I supposed to do with my family? What am I supposed to do with my church? Can I still go to church there? Because all my friends are saying, if you've been the pastor there, you got to leave, Right? What do I tell people when they ask why? Oh, did you have moral failure? Did you, did you burn out? Did you tick somebody off? Were you pushed out? No. Like, well, why, why are you going? I, I can only tell you that we're just walking in obedience. Like, I don't, I don't know what to else to tell you. So a lot of questions from family, from friends. And in that process, what God began to do in me and to me and for me he began to show me how I had based my entire identity around what I could do or what I thought I could do for him in ministry. And as I began to talk to other people in ministry, I discovered that's a very common theme. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but I'll ask you for this. Just in your mind, think about this. When someone asks you, in your role as a pastor or as a leader in your church, when someone says, hey, pastor so-and-so, how's it going? What do you hear? Right, in your head, like, what, what do you think they're actually asking you? I can tell you what I thought. They're asking, how big's your church? How many did you baptize? How big's your budget? How many do you have on staff? Right, how are you reaching your community? But you know what the one central thing about all that is? Me. Right? And so that question used to terrify me. And now not even knowing how to answer, I, I felt like the guy, I was afraid, I'll tell you this, I was afraid of being the guy in the parable that Jesus tells where he, the master gives out talents to three servants. You guys know the story, right? He gives out a great deal to this one, some to this one, just like one or two to this one. And he comes back after having been gone on a long trip. And to the first one he says what? Well done, great job. The second one, he says, well done, great job. And what does he say to the third one? Do you remember? You foolish, wicked, lazy servant. So being in a place where it felt like ministry wasn't an option or had been modified or changed beyond my ability to control it or understand it, in that moment, what I felt was the enemy pretending to be the voice of God going, you foolish, wicked, lazy servant. So in that moment, I was like, all right, what do we do? I was reading through John at that time. And I came across a very familiar passage, John chapter 15. And in that moment, what the Lord began to do was he began to pull back the layers and show me things about myself that were the good, the bad, and the very ugly. And as I began to talk with other people about this, what I discovered was that the, the internal dialogue that I had was a, an internal dialogue that many have had. So what I want to do with our time today is this. One, I don't want to presume anything. 
I don't want to assume that you are something you're not. But I also don't want to overlook anything. So what I want to do is I just want to walk through John 15. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. We are going to go through it, a lot of it verse by verse. I want to pull out what I'll call five confessions that the Lord has allowed me to sink myself into. That hopefully one, if maybe not more of them, could be helpful for you as well. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time at the very end. Um, Again, if you have any questions or or if you want to stop and and dialogue through any of this, I'm happy to do it, okay? I'm happy to do it here. I'm happy to do it afterwards. It's, it's It's your call. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to actually just read the passage top to bottom, and then we're just going to kind of walk through it together. Does that work? Cool. So this is John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1, reading through verse 11. And this is Jesus' words to his, his followers. He says it this way. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, and I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Being that I love the academic world, I'm going to give you a thesis statement. Ready? Here it is. Jesus' final words to his disciples were to remind them and us of our true identity. And here it is. Before you are anything else, before you are a pastor, before you are a leader, before you are a husband or a father, before you are anything else, you are a branch. Let me say it again. Before you are anything else, you are a branch. And because we're branches, there are five things about branches that I've turned into confessions, which I believe are five things about us. Here's the first one. You ready? My growth comes from my connection. My growth comes from my connection. All of us, whether we realize it or not, every single one of us derive our source of life from something. And it's often where we get our source of identity. 
And many times you know what that source is when it is removed from you. A lot of times you don't know what it is, right? You, you, you think, oh, well, you know, it, it, it's the church or it's, it's, you know, following the Lord. And, and I believe, I want to believe the best in you. I believe that is true for many, if not all of us in this room. However, there are like side sources that we begin to draw our, our identity from as well. And we begin to discover what they are when they are either removed or they are being threatened. Our identity is as dads, as parents, as spouses, as sons. The thing that you are connected to is honestly the thing that you ultimately become. Think about it like this. One of my favorite scholars says it this way. He says, what you give your attention to is what you ultimately become. So if you don't like who you are, if you don't like where you are, if you don't like how you um, are currently manifesting yourself in this world as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a what, look at what you're giving your attention to because ultimately that's what is feeding you life. Right? And what does Jesus say? He says, abide where? In me. He didn't just say abide. He didn't just say, hey, exist. Right? The word abide, Greek word, meno, which means to make your home in something, dwell in something. In my new role, I, I travel a lot. I stay in a lot of hotels. And I'll tell you something. Staying in a hotel, there are things you can't do that you can do when you're staying in your home. Right? Like you can't hang pictures on the wall in a hotel room. I mean, you, I guess you can, but then, you know, you, you get a bill. <laughs> right? You can't walk into somebody else's room unannounced. You get a restraining order. Right? You can't go to the kitchen downstairs and get coffee in your underwear. Right? You can do that in your home. Why? Because your home has a different set of rules than it does somewhere else. And I think a lot of times what happens, especially as pastors, we get so sucked into trying to perform for other people or even subconsciously thinking that we're trying to perform for God that we end up staying in a role or functioning in a role as if we're living in a hotel room and not abiding in Christ. Here's how you know if you're abiding in Christ, the comfortability you have with being your true self in his presence. And many times we don't even allow ourselves to get that deep, right? Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but how many of you study the Word as a means of just this is what you got to preach on Sunday and you don't have your own time to yourself? One of the biggest adjustments I had to make when I wasn't preaching every Sunday is how do I read the Bible when it's just me and I'm not trying to regurgitate it for somebody else? That is soul-revealing if it ever was. Verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me as what I abide in you. Just as the branches can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you're the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Can I just give you a, a quick confession and I feel like I'm among friends, even though I don't really know all of you. I think you'll resonate with this, because I'm sure you've seen it. You can fake fruit. Is that a little too real? Like, you can fake it. 
right? You can go down to Kroger and buy a bag of apples, staple it on a tree, and say, look, I got an apple tree. What happens? Those apples will eventually wither and fall off. Why? Because they're not really a part of that tree. And friends, you can fake it, and you can fake it, and have everybody fooled for a very long time. But at some point, it will come crashing. The only way to bear fruit, and y'all, I know I'm talking to a bunch of pastors here. But the only way to truly bear fruit that's going to last is to learn how to abide and not fake it. Abiding in the right things. And the fruit that you produce is directly tied to the thing, to the place in which you abide. Y'all remember that old saying, my grandmother used to say this all the time, you are what you eat. You produce where you abide. Confession number one, my growth comes from my connection. Confession number two, my appearance is seasonal. Sorry, is that me? Am I popping it? I think it's my beard. There we go. I got it. Is that better? Sorry about that. What am I doing? Okay. Okay. I feel like, you know, thank you. I know it. I feel like I'm getting ready to go on, you know, Grammys or something. <laughs> My appearance is seasonal. You're going to have seasons where it's spring, things are blooming, and man, you are knocking it out of the park, right? You preach that sermon, and you're like, look, if the whole congregation didn't get saved again, they weren't listening, right? Like you have those Sundays, like you walk up the stage, and you're like, you're welcome, right? Y'all, come on. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you go home and you're, you're, you ask your wife or, or your kid, hey, what would you guys think of the sermon? Because what you really want to hear is, I, I can't believe we get to sit under this teaching. <laughs> right? Right? And then there are Sundays where you get off the stage and you feel like you want to give people their tithe money back. Right? And you're like, I'm sorry you paid to be here. Please just, just don't even, you know, like, I, I don't even want to make eye contact with people. Like, I just want to. I want to go, I don't want to ask my wife, even though she wants to tell me, you know, and I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Sorry, babe. You got to give me till at least Thursday. And even then, I don't know if we're going to talk about it. Your appearance is seasonal. And there are going to be some times when you're in the middle of spring, summer. But here's the thing. Winter is coming. And it will. And if you're not abiding right, if you're not abiding well, when winter hits, it'll smack you and you don't even see it coming. And the dangerous part about when winter hits is this. We think that that's the end. Because so many times what we can see is what's right in front of us. Because often that's how a lot of times we have to live, right? One crisis to the next, one fire to the next. And so we're getting hit over and over and over again. If we're not having to prepare for a sermon, we're dealing with membership issues. We're not dealing with membership issues. We're dealing with leadership issues. We're not dealing with leadership issues. We're dealing with building issues. We're not dealing with building issues. We're dealing with, with kids. I mean, it's just like, and then you got the family dynamic on top of that. And it's easy in the midst of all of that for winter to hit. And you think, is this all there is? God, I have all, of all the things that I've done for you, I want to I go back to spring. And in that season, you can hit what's called by its scholars, the dark night of the soul. Any of you ever had just dark night of the soul experience? I did. 
I did. That was my 2020. When I had that randomized, spontaneous, catatonic event, I got angry. I was like, are you freaking kidding me, God? Like, I'm pouring my soul over this camera that nobody can see, trying to help my kids, and you're going to like, like, really? Winter, it hit hard, and I wasn't ready. A lot of questions, not a lot of answers. You ever been in a season where you had more questions than answers? What I mistook at the time was that winter was the season that I was going to be in for the rest of my life. And so I was judging the outside based on what I felt on the inside. The reality is this. You're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. You're going to have springs and you're going to have winters. Sometimes those things are the result of actions that we've caused, right? Things that we've done. Hidden sin, let's not move past that. Sometimes there are things and God's like, hey, trying to get your attention here. We're going to talk about that in just a minute too. Sometimes it's winter because it's summer somewhere else. And that's hard too to watch other people thrive when you're not. Your appearance is seasonal. Continue to abide. Confession number three. And this is a hard one. My branchiness is different than my neighbor's. I just made up that word. My branchiness is different than my neighbor's. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, calls the church one body, many what? What is it? Yeah, members. Different parts. You walk out, if you look at any tree, any vine, what you're going to notice about that tree or that vine is it's going to have a lot of branches and none of them are identical. Now, they may all have similar shapes, but some of them are going to have different forks. Some are going to be longer than others. Some of them are going to even have more fruit than others. Some are going to have more leaves than others. And the temptation that we face in ministry is to watch somebody else's growth and go, I need to copy that model. Because if I do what they're doing, I'm going to see the same results they're having. And then in the midst of that, you know what happens? You end up creating a clone, which doesn't work, because there are no clones in ministry. There are no clones in ministry. We cannot compare our branchiness to our neighbors. Some of us have parts of our bodies that don't look like other parts of our bodies. My right ear sticks out further than my left ear. And I can't unsee it. Every time I look in the mirror, I see it. Right? When I wear a hat, it's even like, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. But I don't cut my ear off, right? I don't do that. Do not fall into the trap of comparing your branchiness to others. You are going to grow at a different pace and in a different way than those around you. And that's a hard truth, but it can be a beautiful truth when you're in the midst of it. And you learn to really thrive in that. And the fruit that comes from your apprenticeship to Jesus, your parenting, your relationships, your impact on the community, all of this is fruit that comes as a result of abiding or not abiding well in the vine. 
But as you abide, listen, don't use your fruit as a metric to judge your success. Use your ability to abide as a judgment of the metric of your success. Do not allow the amount of fruit that you have or don't have to be the metric by which you judge your success. But use your ability to abide well as your metric for how you judge success. And that is, that is hard. Because we live in a culture that celebrates followers, celebrates likes, celebrates the applause of others. And to say, hey man, I know you were a missionary in Turkey for five years and you had three people. We actually had, believe it or not, this is possible, we had negative two people come to Christ when we were in Turkey. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Spent five years there. Realized that the people we were talking to weren't believers. They walked away from the faith. So we ended worse than we started. <laughs> Except we didn't. And that's a hard, hard lesson especially when people are going, hey, how are things going? And what you hear is, how big have you gotten? That's not your metric. So our confession is that my branchiness is different than my neighbor's, which leads to confession number four, and I think this is one of the most difficult. Pruning makes me healthy. Holy cow. Remember back in verse 2 of John 15 where he says, He, that's the Father, removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Okay? But then he says, Every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. here's Here's the stark reality. Ready? You're either getting cut off or getting cut from, but either way you're going to get cut. Let me say it again. You're either getting cut off or you're getting cut from, but you're not escaping the cutting. And we like to try to escape cutting because we don't like being uncomfortable. So we try to anesthetize the pain. When it begins to hurt, what do we do? We distract ourselves with all kinds of things. Right? And y'all, I, I know that I'm, I'm preaching what you guys have preached to your congregations, I'm sure, time and time again. But I also realize who I'm talking to in this room. And many times, especially in ministry, we don't feel like we're allowed to feel pain. We feel like we've got to hold it together because we're a leader. And not only are we a leader, we're a Christian leader. And Christians don't get sad or angry or mad, and that's bull crap. That's a lie from the enemy. You're going to get cut. It can either be to your detriment or for your good. Do you know why vine growers and vine dressers, do you know why they prune? It's actually a compliment to the vine. It's a compliment to the branches. It's saying, look, I see so much potential in what I'm going to do in you as you stay abiding in this tree or this vine that I'm going to keep cutting from you because I think there's more that we can see come from you. Pruning isn't condemnation. Pruning is the Father seeing in you what he longs to do in you and through you in your community where he's planted you 
And it's a way of him saying, I'm not done yet. But holy cow, it hurts when it's happened, doesn't it? Because sometimes if you ever do any kind of gardening, you'll discover that sometimes the bad dead branches are cut off, but sometimes the healthy ones are cut. And they're cut in some really like oddly healthy places. Well, it's because sometimes those healthy things aren't contributing to the greater good of the vine itself. And in order for fruit to come on that vine, the pruning has to happen. But pruning makes us healthy. And sometimes that pruning comes directly. Right? Revelation of sin in your life. God's like, that, we got to cut that out. Sometimes it could be the revelation of things that we've been using as a, as a distraction. Hey, you probably need to cut out social media in your life, right? You need to maybe take a month off from Netflix. You, you need to cut out this other thing because it's a distraction. It may not be a bad thing, but it may be a distraction to what I want to do in you. And so we voluntarily allow that printing to happen. Sometimes printing happens to you indirectly. Life circumstances hit you that you weren't expecting. The people who have been coming faithfully and said, hey, we're so glad you're here. We're glad God brought you here. We believe in your vision, but we're going to go somewhere else. We're taking our checkbook with us. Sometimes that's a pruning experience too. Sometimes the disease diagnosis that you weren't expecting hits you from out of nowhere. What I've discovered in, in, with pastors a lot, especially myself included, Many times the pruning comes as our family hits a crisis. It may be our kids, maybe our marriage, maybe our parents, but they hit a crisis. And when they hit a crisis, that pruning begins to happen and it hurts deep. It hurts deep. And I'm not trying to like Christianize this and being like, you know what? God works all things together for the good of it. That is true. But in that moment, sometimes you just need to weep. Because the pruning hurts. But pruning makes us healthy. Which leads to the last one, and I'm going to tell you this. This is, I think, the hardest one for all of us. You ready? I am not the tree, but I'm part of it. I am not the tree, but I am part of it. Jesus begins this whole chapter in verse 1 by saying this. This is his opening line. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Which means this. You aren't. I'm not. You don't have to be the tree. Let me say it again. You don't have to be the tree. And how many of us subconsciously feel like we have to be the tree? Right? We, if, if something happens to us, this whole thing is falling apart. It's because you've forgotten who you are. You're a branch. You're not the tree. You're a part of the vine. You're not the vine. And not only are you not the true vine, you're not the vine grower. Which means, this is kind of a hard one too, it's not your job to prune other branches. You stay faithful to the word. You stay obedient day after day. You follow the Lord as he directs you. 
and you let the vine grower do the pruning. You abide well. Abide well. You don't have to be the tree. You can actually be vulnerable. You can actually be honest. It's one of the things I love about Pastor Jeremy Wade. What he's provided here is a space. And he openly and welcomes vulnerability. You know, I think one of the strongest individuals is the one who goes, I don't have it all together. Fantastic. Now we're ready to get started. Now we can do something with this. Because a branch that thinks it's a tree has lost its true understanding of what God has made for it to be. Similarly, a vine without any branches is a stick. Which leads me kind of in my, my last, my, kind of my, my three tools. Here's kind of like my, here's what you do. Ready? Based on these five confessions, what I would, what I would encourage you to do is this. Number one, confess. Confess. Confess the stuff that keeps you from abiding. If you look at the way a tree is designed or a vine is designed and a branch kind of comes off of it, sometimes something will fall on that branch, sometimes the wind will hit it, or sometimes just something will happen, and, and that branch at times will begin to separate from the tree. And if that happens, little things can get in there. And as they get in there, infection or, or disease or rot or something else can continue to remove that branch from that vine or that tree. That thing, whatever that is, in our lives, many times, that is hidden sin that we don't talk about. And that hidden sin may not necessarily be an, an overt, like, affair or a porn addiction or, or some kind of substance addiction. It could be an attitude that we have about what other people are doing in this city that we call jealousy. It could be coveting thy neighbor's church or thy neighbor's ministry. And what happens is over time, it begins to wedge between the branch and the tree or the vine, and over time, those things become further and further disconnected. And so my encouragement to you is when you discover them, when you discover them, and y'all, how many of you, again, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you in the middle of preaching your sermon go, the Holy Spirit goes, hey, guess what? We're talking about that. You and me, right now. You ever happen to you guys? It happens to me. In those moments, confess. Confess. Admit it. Own it. Does it make you less of a man? Does it make you less of a leader? Does it make you less of a pastor? It actually enables you to bear more fruits. Confess. Two, connect. Connect. Connect with other people. Connect with the Father. Spend some time in Matthew 5 through 7. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Those are great pruning habits. You want to know what's really coming to the surface? You want to know what's really kind of like buried down deep? Fast for a couple of days. It'll come out. Take a break from some type of media streaming or social media. Those things will begin to come to the surface. Third, community. Abide together. Again, a tree with no branches is a stick. Abide with others. Find somebody that you can just be vulnerable with, honest with, and then just 
Let the Lord take you as he takes you. Here's what I want to do to end our time. I'm just going to, I'm going to lead us in what I'm going to call, what, well, we'll call it a listening prayer of sorts. And you don't have to have any kind of physical posture. You don't have to even close your eyes if you don't want to. What I find when I'm doing listening prayers, I like holding my hands open like this because it helps me embody receiving from the Lord what he wants to give me and giving back to the Lord whatever it is he wants to take. And I just want to ask you this question. Of these five confessions, and I'll repeat them again in a minute, but of these five confessions, which one has the most tension in your life? Which one of these kind of maybe unnerves you a little bit more than others? And if none of them, that's fine. Maybe go back and read John 15 and ask, where is the Spirit prompting you? Where, where are you feeling that tension? And then listen to what the Holy Spirit says. And take that and offer it as something you're giving to God. So I'm just going to lead us in this prayer. I'm just going to let it be silent just for a few seconds. The five confessions are this. My growth comes from my connection. My appearance is seasonal. My branchiness is different than my neighbors. Pruning makes me healthy. And I am not the tree, but I am part of it. Father, you know each and every individual in this room. You know the secret hidden things, the things that even we're not aware of. You know the insecurities. You know the passions. You know the baggage. You know the marriages, the relationships. You know the details of every single thing that we've been engaged in over the past seasons. Because every single one of them were written down in your book. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would continue to search and reveal. Not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of comfort through confession. We ask that you would give us insight, shine a light even in the places that we don't want you to. Give us boldness to confess and repent. Jesus, we know this is your church. We know that this is, you are, you are the vine, we're just the branches on it. We know that this is your mission. So, Father, prune us as we need to be pruned so that we may bear more fruit. Thank you for loving us where we are. Thank you for dwelling inside of us.
leading us. Jesus, our great vine, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the audio from a third Thursday gathering of pastors and church leaders visiting the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. To learn more, visit theaxischurch.org.